0: given strict commandment to such as came. What they should do to what? The, the commandments that we have received was given so that we could live. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Even as they came and what they should observe to avoid punishment. doctor gives you a recommendation. says, do this and do that. And if you don't follow it, don't expect to live Alright? This is very, very simple. So I hope you all understand that. Now let's get right into our teaching. What we are talking about here is dealing with Christianity. Because many of our people don't even know why they're doing the things that they are doing. They go into these establishments and because they see a generic word says God over here, a generic term peace and love and so forth, be kind to your neighbor, they feel that they're welcome and that's all that they have to do. If a man is going to get married to a wife, looking for a woman as his me, what's the first thing that he has to do? Anyone. Huh? You yeah, know, definitely pray. You're right. Right about that. He prays, but he also has to examine. Right? Alright, let's put it this way. Family origin. I'll make it more simple. If you're going... Family and origin. Family and origin. There you go. Family and origin. If you're going to buy a car, there's something called car facts. Right? What you do is you get the papers to make sure that the car doesn't have any strange accidents happen to it, something isn't crazy before you buy it, because when you get it, you're stuck with it. The dealer always tell you, and they don't tell you, well, they don't really tell you directly, but when you purchase a brand new car or used car or whatever from a dealership, what they want you to do is drive off the lot first. After you sign the papers, drive off the lot, because they know. The day you leave off a lot with that, you own it. It belongs to you. So the reason why I I started there is because, as the title says, "Whose Whose Cup Are What Are You Drinking From? You don't know the origin of the religion that you join yourself into. What, this is just a brief history behind what we call church or churchianity. Churchianity is just a slang for a Christian, Christianity and church joined together. There's a prophecy in the book of Psalms, verses 1 to 4, says, O oh God, why have you cast, off forever? cast, cast us off forever? Why do thine anger smoke against the sheep of your pastor? So there's a question that has been asked, but there's a little bit of prophecy here that I want us to look at. Remember your congregation, which you have purchased a whole. Now, the question is in verses 1, we know for a fact that David was the one that was speaking. He was the one that wrote this, right? At the time when David wrote this, was Israel cast off? No. No. So we know this is a prophecy of something to come. So David was prophesying of something very important. Verses 2. Remember your congregation which you have purchased up old, the rod of your, your inheritance which you have redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein you have dwelt. Lift up your feet unto the perpetual desolations even all that the enemy have done wickedly in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your congregations. What does it say? They set up their ensigns for what? Their ensigns for signs. So this is a prophecy of enemies that's going to change up things and put their own signs for the signs of Israel. Let's go to the next uh, slide. A man was famous to as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees, but now they break down the cobwork thereof at once with axes and hammers. Verse 7. They have cast fire into, the, into your sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of your name to the ground. So we'll see how they did that throughout history. Verse 8, they said in their hearts, let us destroy them, what? Together. Together. They have burnt up all the synagogues of who? Of God in the land. Now, verse 9 says, what? We see not our signs, because the enemy has come in now and has removed the things that we need to look to, the things that ties us with the Most High, that connects us with Him. So they came in because of our own disobedience and they have destroyed our signs. There is no no more any prophet, Not is there among us any that knoweth how long. So because of all these things that have happened, we don't have physical men that would walk around and tell us what is to come. We have to go back to the Word to know what's going to come. Next slide. So now we look at this warning. In Proverbs 22, verses 28, we have this warning, what does it say? Remove not the ancient landmark which, who, your fathers have set. Now, what this is referred to, obviously, is the same signs, a landmark is a sign. The sign is the way of our forefathers, the Torah, the Scriptures, the Word. The way of the order that the Most High set Israel to be. How they should live, how they should dress, what they should eat, and different things like that. How we should, you know, conduct our lives with each other and with Him. Those things have changed because the enemies came into our land and introduced other customs. In Job 24 and 2 it says, Some remove the landmarks. They violently take away what? The flocks. The fact that the landmarks have been removed, our flocks have been scattered. That's Israel. Our people have been scattered because of doctrine, have destroyed us, and feed thereof. They have taken away our food. What is the food referred to here? The word. It's the word, exactly. Let's go to the next slide. In the book of 1 Maccabees, 1 and 1, let's go there. God's going to read for me. Let's look at some of the abominations that these heathen have done. Verse Maccabees gives us some history. It was part of the original King James Bible. But now we're going to look at the history of how we arrive at the prophecy that Malach Dawid, King David, had prophesied with regards to Israel. We're going to see the abomination that took place, and why we end up with the system of religion that we have now. It didn't just happen overnight. It is a history. First, Nicodemus one and one. Go ahead and read. And it, and it happened after Alexander, son of Philip, the Macedonian, who came out of the land of Shittim, had smitten darius king of the Persians, and Medes and he reigned in his stead the first over Greece. So we got the empire of Greece. Remember the dream of Nebuchadnezzar? What a statue that he saw, head of gold, silver, brass waste, and then iron. We're dealing here with the system of brass, the government of brass, jump down verses 10, which and is the Greeks, Grecians. And then came out of them a wicked root. So out of this Grecian empire, they had a wicked root. Go ahead. Antioch surnamed Epiphanes, son of Antioch the king. Antiochus surnamed Epiphanes, son of the king, mm-hmm. who had been a hostage at Rome. And he reigned in the 130 and 70 year of the kingdom of Greece. So we're dealing with the Grecian Empire. We're starting at this history to arrive, to come to where we are today. All right. Verses 13. And certain of the people were so forward hearing that they went to the king who gave them license to do after the ordinance of the heathen. So what happened was during this reign of this wicked root, there was a deal that was set when they came into the land of Israel to have to conspire to have the people conform to the ways of the heathen. Alright, continue. Verses, uh, let's jump down to verses 41. Switch over to 41. We're just giving some little bits of history here. Let's see what they started to do. 41. Moreover, moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people. So this king, King Antiochus, he wrote to his whole kingdom. That kingdom is not just Israel, but all all the surrounding countries that they have conquered. He wrote the decree that all should be one people you all understand that? One world government like we have today, that we are trying to work on today. Let's go. Verse 42. And everyone should leave his laws. So all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. So the heathen didn't have a problem with it. All right. Continue. He had many also of the Israelites consented to his religion. So now Israel, Judah specifically, those that were in the land, They got together with the elders and discussed what they're going to do. And decided, based upon our religion, a way of life, we're going to go ahead and join up with these people. Go ahead. And sacrifice unto idols and profane the Sabbath. So Israel joined with these heathen, they sacrificed unto idols and they profaned the Shabbat. For well, the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land and forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple and that they should profane the Sabbaths and festival days. So now we can see the intention of these people was to defile the ordinance of the Most High. They wanted to set up their own system which is contrary to the system that God gave unto Israel. So the Shabbat was profaned, the temple was profaned, even the holy days was also profaned. But continue. And pollute the sanctuary and holy people, set up altars and groves and chapels of idols. So they set up altars, cultic groves, that's those uh, places of witchcraft where they got together and they have these um, Wiccan um, gatherings and stuff like that. Bonfires. We just have these mm-hmm. bonfires. Those bonfires and those different things. All right, and you know what? At the end of this month, this pagan month, they're going to be doing a lot of the same practices too. All right, on Halloween. All right, continue. And sacrifice swine's flesh. Well, back up a little bit. They had cultic groves and they had chapels of idols. We're going to see. As we go through this, this is the history now. That they brought, what they did was they mixed up the whole thing and they brought the chapels. We know what chapels are today in this world, Christianity. They said, I'm going to the chapel to pray. You go to, if you're in a hospital and a loved one is sick, a person will say, I'm going to the chapel to pray. If you're in the military, I'm going to go to the chapel to pray. There's a chapel set up everywhere. Sometimes even in the courtrooms, there's a little chapel set up there too. All right, so they set things up based on the pagan system. Continue reading. Sacrifice and sacrifice swine's flesh. So now the sacrifices, instead of they using the kosher sacrifices that the Most High set up, they use pork, pigs. Okay, and unclean beasts. Mm-hmm. And they should also have their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and profanation. Profanation. Continue. To the end that they might forget the law and change all the ordinances. To the end that they might forget the law. You see, the point of them doing these things was so it can trickle down to the children. they do not focus on the adults. They know that the adults still have in the back of their minds the right practice. But if I can get them young, that's why we find in our system today a lot of media, Disney, you name it, all the different programs. That's why it's called program, because it programs your mind. Mm-hmm. They get your mind indoctrinated into a system. That's why they start on, for example, Miley Cyrus was on Disney. All this funny stuff, cracking jokes and so forth. And then your child attaches himself to this young person and then they follow this person as they grow and idolize them and at a certain time when Miley Sars is now an adult and starts to do her craziness her sodomite ways and all those different things your child now emulates the same person and then another generation will pass and now sin is acceptable continue reading to the end they might forget the law and change all the ordinances. And change all the ordinance, ordinances. Continue. And whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, I want you, he said, I want you to take your time with your He should die. And whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said he should die. Continue. In the selfsame same manner wrote he to his whole kingdom and appointed overseers over all the people. All right. And in the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city. Okay. Let's jump down to verses 54. Now the fiftieth day of the month, Kallusu, okay. mm-hmm. in the hundred, forty, and year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar and built idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side. So the fiftieth day that happened to be a Shabbat. The 15th is a Shabbat. We will look at that on the, a little, little, little bit later on. But they chose the day of worship to defile the temple. Alright? They chose, the, they, they knew exactly what Israel congregates. And they chose that day to defile the temple. And they set up altars throughout the cities Of Judah on every side. Why do you think you find churches at every corner? In most places, every corner is a church. Okay. Continue. And burnt incense at the doors of their houses and in the streets. They burnt incense also. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law, so what did they do? Rent in pieces the books of the law. They tore up our scrolls. They rent in pieces. They tore it up. Because they're offended by it it's a reminder it's the same sign that the most high was talking about was trying to tell us. we don't see our signs because they started to mess around with it. go ahead, which they found they burned them with fire, they burned them with fire and whosoever was found with any the book of the testament or if any consented to the law, the king's commandments was that they should be put him to death so the king had put a decree if you follow the scriptures if they caught you doing the things of the scriptures you're going to die all right so we know that right away that this this has been a system started a long time ago even in our time because people have been conditioned to break god's commandments all right Continue. Thus did they by their authority unto the Israelites every month. They did so every month, okay, by the authority of the king. To as many as were found in the cities. Now, the five and twentieth day of the the month, they did sacrifice upon the idol altar. The twenty fifth day of the month. That's interesting. Which was upon the altar of God. At which time, according to the commandment, they put to death certain women that had caused their children to be circumcised. Uh-huh. And they hanged infants about their necks. Just like how they hang all people by our necks. And rifled their houses, mm-hmm. and slew them that had circumcised them. How many in Israel were fully resolved and confirmed in themselves not to eat any unclean thing? Wherefore, they choose rather to die. So Israel, there were some in Israel that says, No, we're not conforming to the way of the heathen. All right? We're not going to go into that system. We're going to defy the king. All right? That's a few Israelites, just as you see today. Only a few of us will say, You know what? I'm sticking to what does save the Lord. And I'm going to do what the Lord says to do. But the rest of them, oh, there's no problem. We're going to go along with the system. All right, go ahead and finish it up. Wherefore the Jews were to die, that they might not be defiled with meats, and that they might not profane the holy covenant. So then they died, and there was a great wrath upon Israel. You know, when you read the scriptures where it says some of our brothers and sisters suffered persecution, some were covered in goatskins, they traveled from place to place and so forth. You know, all of these things are talking about this history here. But when I took these things out of the original Bible, you have no clue of the history of anything. You see, because now it's acceptable to be in a system that goes against the Word of God. Let's go to um, chapter 3 now. We're going to pick it up at verses 46. I'm going to read from 46 to 48. Chapter 3, verse Maccabees 3 and 46. Wherefore the Israelites assembled themselves together, and came to Masphah over against Jerusalem. For Masphah was the place where they prayed a four-time in Israel. Then they fasted that day, and put on sackcloth, and cast ashes upon their heads, and rent their clothes. Alright, so Israel was trying to clean up the mess, those that defy the system, the government. Now what you saw before, we read before was that, the religion and the state were joined together. Alright. They had the backing of a state. Everything was merged together. So now Israel decided those that didn't want to go along with the system fasted, they repented. Okay, it goes praying on behalf of the nation. Verses 48. And laid open the book of the law. So they opened the book of the law. Wherein the heathen had sought to paint the likeness of their images. What does it say again? Wherein the heathen had sought to paint the likeness of their images. So we can see from the very beginning that the heathen wanted to put their pictures inside the scriptures. That's why when you open the Bibles, most of them, you find pictures of European people in there. Mm. Moses' is white. Abraham is white, everybody is white, everybody looks like Europe. Hmm. They put their pictures in there, even to this very day. All the angels are white, God is white. Adam is white. How, how many of y'all have seen white soil? No. That's clear. Right. And the best soil, everyone knows that the best soil is top soil, dark soil. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, when God made Adam, Adam came out of the ground. Dark. You he get all the different colors out of that, but you can't get vice versa. So, they kind of changed things up a little bit. Alright, is that where we stop? Yep. Alright. So, they wanted to paint, they likeness in there. Let's go to 2 Maccabees now. Uh, chapter 6. 2 Maccabees, chapter 6. What you see over here, while we're getting that, What you see on the screen to the top, who do you think this is to the top? The picture that you see at the top is found, this is a statue found in the Vatican. The name of the statue is called St. Peter. What's the the difference between this statue and the one below? But guess what? That was not the original name of the statue. They changed that name, put that name. They didn't make this specifically for that. This is a pagan statue that you see to the top. In the bottom you have a statue of Jupiter. Alright? So, you can start seeing how they, what they did was they put their idols and gave it so-called holy names. Okay? They started to mix things up. Until we have it today. So people if you look at the toe statue of so called Peter, it's worn off. It's kinda of shiny. This one isn't. Because the people that travel to see the statue and bow before it, they kiss the toe. It's been kissed. is this toe has been kissed for centuries. Until it's worn off by the lips of people kissing it. <laughs> Alright. Let's take a look at Maccabees now. One verse six, go ahead. Not long after the king sent an old man from Athens to compel the Jews to depart from the laws of their fathers. So the king sent an an emissary to convince the Jews, Yuhadim, to leave the laws of their forefathers. It's the same thing as don't remove the ancient landmark. Okay? Continue. And not to live after the laws of God. They don't want them to live after the laws of the Most High. And to pollute also the temple in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and to call it the temple of Jupiter, Olympius, and that in Gerizim of Jupiter, the defender of strangers, as they did desire that dwell in the place. The coming in of the mischief was sore and grievous to the people. What do they call it? Mischief. Mischief. What is mischief? Wickedness evil, treachery. Continue. For the temple was filled with riot. The temple was filled with riot. And reveling by the Gentiles. Reveling by who? The Gentiles. That's the Europeans. Continue. Who dallied with harlots. They had prostitutes in the temple of Jerusalem. And had to do with women within the circuit of the holy places. Mm -hmm. And besides that brought in. Things that were not lawful. So the heathen brought in their practices of prostitution, reveling. There's something back in the, not just in the Caribbean, but even in New Orleans, it's called reveling. Mardi Gras, Carnival, all of these things, Bacchanal. All of this stuff came from the heathen with some flavor in there of so called. Christian names, okay? For example, Fat Tuesday and whatever take place in New Orleans. um, During that time of so-called Lent, there's a lot of Mardi Gras processions that goes on in New Orleans. What they have done is they merge the identity of Israel and put in there the pagan system, the Gentile system, you see? So continue... The altar also was filled with profane things. The altar of the Most High also had profane things, which the law forbid. Which the law forbids. Go ahead. Neither was it lawful for a man to keep Sabbath days or ancient feasts. So they changed that up. They See, they don't just stop you from doing things. What they do, they put a substitute. If they didn't stop them from having a sacrifice, they just replaced it with another type of sacrifice. All right, continue. And to profess himself to all to be a Jew. Read that again. Or to profess himself to all to be a Jew. Neither was it lawful for a man to keep the Shabbat days or ancient feasts or to call himself a Hebrew. You see? So if they don't want to be called a Hebrew, what do you think they're going to replace that with? Gentile, that's why you find in many of the churches people say make a statement, I'm a what? Saved by grace. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Gentile saved by grace. You understand? This book is not for Gentiles. This book is for Israel. All of it. This whole entire book. But they have changed things to include themselves in it. You understand that? Alright, so we start with verse 6. Let's go to the next slide. This is the abomination that was written. Let's continue verses 7 to verses 8. And I'll look at the screen. We'll look at some things here. And in the day of the king's birth, So the king's birthday, Every month they were brought by bitter constraint, constraint, constraint. to eat of the sacrifices. And when the feast of Bacchus was kept, The The feast of Bacchus was kept, the Feast of Bacchus. This is where we get the origin of the term Bacchanal. Mm-hmm. Every time you get together and have a Bacchanal, mm-hmm. you are celebrating the Feast of Bacchus. Mm-hmm. Look at the screen up here, to the top. Exactly. Bacchanal is. Bacchanal is partying in the street. Yeah. You're half naked. As a matter of fact, I think today they're having some Bacchanal on the street, uh, downtown Atlanta, with... Uh, the, the Sodomites. All right. Look at the top of the screen. you'll see this is the depiction on the I think it's a base of um, Bacchus. And if you notice carefully the animal that he's sitting on is a beast that is spotted, a leopard. That's Greece. All right? That's the symbol of Greece. Okay, and there's a nude male. There's always some young males around them because this is all about sodomite. This whole thing is based on homosexuality. All right. Now over here is another picture of Bacchus. You can see the spotted leopard here drinking out of a bowl of some kind, and a chariot, leopards. All of these things are based on. Um, the myths of the different gods and whatnot. If you notice around you, you can see angels. Alright? But he's in a chariot. All of these things tie back to Santa Claus also. So when it comes down to that time, we will, we'll cover that too. Look at the child here again, on top of these beasts. Alright? This is part of the whole system. To the top there, there's a grape, there's a vineyard. These are grapes. groves, And there are children. They always have little children involved in that always have little children because it's pedoph- pedophilia that that is dealing with too. This is a, another picture of Bacchus in an old, an aged state. You can see the grapes around his head, the beard like Santa Claus. But look at his head. These are horns. These are horns protruding out of his head, showing you the origin. And there are more behind this because when you peel away the history of this man here, all this... Uh, Being you'll find out it's another form of Satan Yes, in question. It's just like Carnival. It's the same system of cannibal. That's where cannibal came from But nevertheless as you can see the connection He has ivy. He has uh, bricks around his head Ivy to the top, ivy over here, and you find the same ivy around Santa Claus Like I said, I'm going to go into this separately, but There's lots of history between the two of them tied together. That's why on Christmas Day, or Christmas time, there's a lot of feasting, drinking, and a history of allowing the slaves, everyone is free, they can party, they can have whatever the case may be. Alright? And also the mistletoe and all that stuff, because that promotes a lot of, um, what do you call it, Um, sexual sins. And when the feast of Bacchus was kept, the Jews were compelled to go in procession to Bacchus. Procession. Bacchus. procession. Read it again. The Jews were compelled to go in procession to Bacchus, carrying ivy. So they had a procession. Y'all know what a procession is? Mm-hmm. Like, a like a parade. Like a parade, okay? They had to have a, a, a parade. Alright, They carrying what? Ivy. Verse 8. Moreover, they went out and decree to the neighboring cities, of the heathen by the suggestion of ptolemy. ptolemy against the jews that they should observe the same fashions and be partakers of their sacrifices so they they, they forced those putting a force upon the people to change their ways to become like the heathen all right go ahead and whoso would not confirm conform themselves to the manners of the gentiles Should be put to death. They will be put to death. Let's go to the next slide. Let's go to 1st Maccabees. Going back to 1st Maccabees. And what I'm going to show you now, we looked at the Grecian Empire for a brief moment. But then the Grecian Empire was transitioned over to the Roman Empire. That transition is mentioned slightly in the 1st Maccabees 14. And we're going to read from verse 16 to see how while Israel was being persecuted by the, the Grecian Empire, they sent for help to Rome. They sent for help by joining up to Rome. And this is how the Roman Empire got into Israel. And then when we read the story in the book of Matthew, Luke and so Paul with the Messiah, we can see clearly how the Romans were in the system, were in Judah, Judea, but we didn't know how they got in there because the history was removed from the book. So let's read verse 16. Now when it was heard at Rome, and as far as Sparta, that Jonathan was dead, they were very sorry. Uh huh. But as soon as they heard that his brother Simon was made high priest in his stead, and ruled the country and the cities therein, they wrote unto him in tables of brass to renew the friendship and leave which they had made with Judas and Jonathan, his brethren, which writings were read before the congregation at Jerusalem. And this is the copy of the letter that the Lacedonians sent the rulers of the Lacedonian with the city unto Simon the high priest, and the elders, and priests, and, res- reside and on the a residue. residue of the people of the Jews, our brethren, send greetings. Alright, let me just wrap this up and tell you what this is referring to. They sent letters to Rome. Okay? They had a, commu- a communication between Rome when they heard of Jonathan. Now, what happened was, the book of Maccabees is a story about Some priests, a family of priests who fought against the Grecian people, okay, to preserve the sanctity of the temple. They had a a revolt against the Grecian Empire. So during the course of the wars and the battles and so forth, one of the brothers had died. And the letters went back and forth uh, to them uh, with regards to a league, a, a contract between Rome and themselves. Now, interesting enough, the Lacedomians are also known as the Spartans. And when you dig into the history of these Spartans, there is some history that connects the tribe of Dan with the Spartans. Okay, the tribe of Dan traveled up to that area. That's why it says "brethren." All right, let's jump down to verses 24. After this, Simon sent Demetrius to Rome with the great shield of gold of the thousand pound weight to confirm the league with them. Okay, so they had a league between Rome. This is how Rome got into the picture. Because you'll see that uh, when we go through this teaching today, we will see how Rome connects back to the church reality that we have today. Let's go to verses 38. King Demetrius also confirmed him in the high priesthood according to those things, and made him one of his friends, and honored him with great honor. For he had heard say that Romans had called the Jews their friends and confederates and brethren. So the Romans the Romans had called the Jews their friends and confederates and brethren. How is that? it's based on the history that i just mentioned that the tribe of dan actually traveled they were because dan dealt with ships also they was into the uh, shipping trade when you read throughout some of the history even in the scriptures i don't i'm not going to get into that right now they made some alliance with javan javan okay that's that italian or that region of italy they made some arrangements them, and was traveling back and forth until eventually they ended up um, migrating in that area, okay? Some of them. So the, whole, the history about the Romans is a very interesting history because it shows that the Romans were not really originally um, part of that place called Italy, okay? Edomites also got into Rome. But the Spartans, in particular, became part of the Roman Empire later on. That's another story. We'll leave that at that. Alright, so, um, did we stop? Okay, so let's move on. So right here, you can see on the slide, pictures of the Roman Empire now, how they dressed and how they got into the whole picture. We transitioned from the Greece into the Roman Empire. Let's go to the next slide. Now, let's take a look at the word church. This is very important, because now we're going to go into the history I give you a little bit, but now we're going to go into the church, the whole church thing. All right. <clears throat> uh, uh, Josh, read for me, please. Second, it is the opinion of other scholars that the word church does not trace its roots from the Greek word Kerekon. 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 Kerekon mm-hmm. at all, but rather was borrowed from ancient druids of the Anglo Saxons. They contained that they were they they the word church it contained the word church from the elestatic root sir circle serki Sergei was the goddess daughter of helios another name for the sun deity so the word church that was used to translate the people of israel of the Gallery came from a druid or a cult a set of people that practice witchcraft and paganism. And they took that word and they applied it. The word is the name of a goddess, a sun goddess. Okay, continue reading. The word circuit is related to circus. The word circuit is related to circus. That explains why when you go to church, it's more like a circus than anything else. Because there's a lot of entertainment that goes on to make the people laugh, cry, and all kinds of different things in there. Cool. Alright, there's a show that goes on, you see? Continue reading. Circle, circle, circuit, and circulate, from whence comes the word Kirk. It's circled because the oldest Jewish temples uh-huh. were circled in circulated form.
1: Circuit was
0: also originally a Greek goddess whose name was written and pronounced as Kerkirky. Mm-hmm. The word church is known in Scotland as Kirk, in Germany as Kirky and in Netherlands as Kirk. The English word church came into use in the middle ages, sometime before the 12th century. The Wycliffe translation 1395 used the word church as churchy. But Tindale 1525 did not. So when it was translated in the Bible, some used the word and others did not use the word. Go well, ahead. Tindale. Tindale properly translated as Ecclesi- Ecclesia. Ecclesia as. As our, congregation. Our congregation. Continue. He used the word church as churchy only twice in Acts 14 13. And 1937, both of which refer to buildings connected to idol worship. You see, so when he used the word in his translation, he made it very clear that the word was connected to idol worship based on Acts 14 and 13. Alright, so when you look at that, you can see that the history behind it, church, was not a good thing. It came out from paganism. Let's continue. Mother Church. So now we're looking at the Mother Church, because the beginning is a Mother. Alright, go ahead and read. The Universal Church. The term is most often used among Roman Catholics as the Holy Mother Church or Sanctia Maria Ecclesia, which is Latin. It is used as is the whole Christian Church or all Christianity collectively. Let's look at that carefully. The term universal church, the word universal means Catholic, or Catholic means universal. That means that this Catholic Church says that it's the mother of all Christian religions. So you can be Adventist, Church of God, Baptist, whatever the denomination, your mama is a Catholic Church by history. That's it, okay? The Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church is thought by some to be the mother church of the Protestant mm-hmm. and other churches that broke away from it over time. That broke away from Mama's house over time. Go ahead. Prominent among these are Lutheran, Reformed, Anglican churches and other Christian faith communities formed over time. Form these. over time. So you have the mom the mama, then you got the daughters that came out of her. They have their own little children, make more little girls, more girls, more girls, and spread around. So they have all these little daughter, daughter churches till where it is today. Galatians 4 and 26. We're going to see who's the mother of us all. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Which is the mother of us all? Where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is above, is free. And is the mother of us all. Do you understand that? So it's very clear where our focus should be. That's why we face Jerusalem and pray also. This is a seal in stone, okay, in the Vatican. And it's in Latin as you can see here, the papal symbol to the top. It says, most holy, Lateran Church, of all the churches in the city and the where? Word the world. This is what's in written here, in Latin here. All right? It says, of all churches in the city and the world, the mother and head. So it's in Latin, so you don't understand what it's trying to tell you, but it tells you right here, that she is the mama for all churches, all of them. This is a book that we'll look at, um, some excerpts from this book that gives you a good history of many things pertaining to what we're talking about here. So we have to return back to our past, not the whole system that is set up. All trees have roots. We've got to go back and check the origin of things, learn the history and the origin of things. What you see over here on the side is a picture from an old book with the seal of the Vatican to the top. And if you look to the top, you'll see there are a double-headed eagle. The symbol of Rome, the power of Rome, was always the eagle, okay? This is a symbol that uh, enslave our people. And over here, there's a cathedral, a chapel. This is a chapel right here, a small chapel with idols. This woman is going to pray. And right below Lord, is a wolf with two children drinking the milk. Did you hear what I said? Drinking the milk from the breast of the wolf. This is a close-up of it. These two children are called um, Remus, I think it is. Remus and Romulus, the founders of Rome. Hmm. What is interesting is that this is what you call a folklore, behind the foundation, the founding of Rome. Why is the Vatican using this symbol to connect itself to it? And why those children drinking from this milk of a wolf? There's a message behind this. Let me read something here to the top. We are taught to obey our denomination or movement and never to challenge what it teaches. If the truth be told, we Christians never seem to ask why we do what we do. Instead, we blindly carry carry out our religious traditions without asking where they came from. And that's very sad. Next slide. Now this booklet is an ancient manuscript and if you look to the top you'll see the price that it was sold for and put in a private collection. You see the price up there? How much is that? For a manuscript. Do you see? Alright, look at the close-up here, double-headed eagle, Rome, the people of Rome, Roma is in Latin, the woman is praying in a chapel, and this is a grove, grove, see? And you see the wolf and the two children, all tied together. Romulus and Remus are the twin brothers and central characters, Rome's foundation myth. Notice the double-headed eagle. People symbols as we said before. Next slide. As you read through the following pages, you may be surprised to discover that a great deal of what we Christians do for Sunday morning church did not come from Jesus Christ, the apostles, or the scriptures, nor did it come from Judaism. After the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, Judea Christianity that's the Israelites following the Messiah, waned in numbers and power. Gentile Christianity dominated. That's the Roman system. And the new faith began to absorb Greco Roman philosophy and ritual. Strikingly, much of what we do for church was what? Lifted directly out of pagan culture in the post- Apostolic period, excuse me. So after the apostles had died, you know who took over, the wolf. Mark 7 and 7, let's see what it says. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. So there are people following, so, you know, they say, well, we pray to the Most High, but in vain they worship Him, because the practices that they practice uh, the precepts of men. In the late second century, there was also a shift in how the Lord's Supper was viewed. The Lord's Supper had devolved from a full meal. What does it say?
2: From a full
0: meal to a stylized ceremony called Holy Communion. I'm just giving you little bits and pieces. I can't. It's a lot of reading here, and all the um. Uh, References, the footnotes are right below it. Okay? Luke 22 and 20. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying... Likewise also He took the cup after what? Supper. Supper. So they sat down and they had a full meal. But what you find in churches, they don't practice that. They give you a little something like this, a little bread wafer. This is a sun object, shaped uh, like a sun because you'll because worship in the sun. Although surrounded by Jewish synagogues and pagan temples, the early Christians were the only religious people on earth who did not erect sacred buildings for their worship. That's talking about the apostles. They didn't have buildings at that time. The Christian faith was born where in homes, out of in courtyards and along roadsides. So the early church was in houses, brothers and sisters. Not in these big grand cathedrals that we see. For the first three centuries, the Christians did not have any special buildings. As one scholar put it, the Christianity that conquered the Roman Empire was essentially a home-centered movement. The people, not the building, was called the congregation. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, 20 to 22. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles, it's Built and prophets. Upon, it's built upon the foundations of who? The apostles and prophets. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Yeshua HaMashiach, the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fit me frame together for uh-huh. onto unto a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22 In whom ye also are building together In whom you, people, are built together. Not a building, but the people is the focus. The people for who are, habitation of God through the Spirit. In whom you are built together for a habitation of who? God. He's the one that's going to inhabit us. Not the building, but us. Alright, let's move on. Next slide. Constantine, the great father of the church building. This is a bust of Constantine. While the Emperor Constantine, around 285 to 337, is often lauded for granting Christians Freedom of worship and expanding their privileges, his story fills a dark <clears throat> page in the history of Christianity. Church buildings began with him. The story is astonishing. Church buildings began with this man. In 312 A.D. Constantine became the Caesar or the Emperor of the Western Empire. By 324, he became emperor of the entire Roman Empire. Shortly afterward, he began ordering the construction of church buildings. He did so to promote the popularity and acceptance of Christianity. He says, Constantine's thinking was dominated by superstition and pagan magic. Even after he became emperor, he allowed the all pagan institutions remain as they were. Following his conversion to Christianity, so-called conversion, Constantine never abandoned sun worship. He kept the sun on his coins and he set up a statue of a sun god that bore his own image in a form of Constantinople, his new capital. Constantinople, excuse me. Constantine also built a statue of the mother goddess Sybil. All right, let's go to the next slide. The fact that he is reported to have had his eldest son, his nephew, and his brother-in-law executed does not strengthen the case of his conversion. So he killed his own family member while under the name of Christianity, being a Christian. In 8321, Constantine decreed that Sunday would be a day of rest, a legal holiday. It appears that Constantine's intention in doing this was to honor the god Mithras, the unconquered sun. He described Sunday as the day of the sun. That's why we still have that term used today. Further demonstrating Constantine's affinity with sun worship, excavations of St. Peter's, Remember, I show you the statue of St. Peter, on top of his head is a solar disk the sun. In Rome, uncovered a mosaic of Christ as the unconquered sun. Almost to his dying day, Constantine quote, still functioned as the high priest of paganism. In fact, he retained the pagan title Pontifex Maximus, or the Pope, which means chief of pagan priests. In the 15th century, this same title became honorific, honorific, excuse me. When Constantine dedicated Constantinople as his new capital on May 11, 330, he adorned it with treasures taken from heathen temples. And he used pagan magic formulas to do what? Protect crops and heal diseases. This is one of his coins. Pontifex Maximus, there you go. Let's look at Deuteronomy 23 and 18. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God. What does that mean? Don't bring the hire of a whore, the price of a dog, where? Into the house of the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means simply what? Don't bring unclean things. Into the house of the Lord. The things that was ordained that is against God's word. We know very well that whoredom is an abomination to the Most High. It's breaking his commandments, right? So why take the money that you made from prostitution and throw it in an offering plate? Let's put it that way. Or bring anything that was serviced for the demons out there and bring it into the house of God. All right? So that's what it's saying here. But what did Constantine did? He brought in many other treasures taken from heathen temples, and he brought it into the place that he created called Church. That's the history. Constantine also borrowed from pagans, not the Jews, the notion of sacredness of objects and places. After his death, he declared to be divine. This was the custom of all pagan emperors who died before him. It was the Senate who declared him, read it again, it was the who? Senate. The Senate. What form of government do we have? we got senators. That's why we're still under the Roman Empire, brothers and sisters. Who declared him to be pagan God at his death. At his death. Now, his mother Helena. This woman was most noted for her obsession with relics. In 8326, Helena made a pilgrimage to Palestine. In 8327, in Jerusalem, she reportedly found the cross and nails that were used to crucify Jesus. It is reported that Constantine promoted the idea that the bits of wood that came from Christ's cross. Possess spiritual powers. That's why you find these pastors having these things for sale. Different things that they sell it, Crosses. Crosses Cross. And you got power. He's going to pray over this cloth and give it to you. And all kinds of different things. This is where they get that from. This is a shrine of uh, Constantine's mom. His mother. She's deified as a goddess. Alright. She's supposed to be married. She's called St. Helena.
1: When you read the history,
0: you'll see how the mothers seduced the sons to do some craziness in Israel.
1: Alright, these wicked
0: mothers. When you have some time, you can go back to 1st Kings 14 and read the rest of it. And you'll see, get everything in context. But right now, I'm just kind of going through some real quick points. So this king now, did what was right. Let's see what happened. And he took away the sodomites out of the land. He took the sodomites out of the land because many of these kings allowed the sodomites to come in the land. Go ahead. And remove all the idols that his father had made. He removed the idols his father made, and also Mata his mother. He also removed his mother. Even her, he removed from being queen. Why did he remove her from being queen? Because she had made an idol in the grove. In the grove she made an idol. And Israel destroyed her idol and burned it by the brook of okay. So we can see the history of destroying the wickedness out of Israel. But you can see with Constantine how Constantine and his mother got together and set up this whole wicked religion called Christianity. They were the ones involved. And history has it that The story of Nimrod, when you read behind the scenes with history, Nimrod's mother was the influence and power behind the man Nimrod, who set up the first one world system of of worship. Her name was called Saramis. Okay, alright. And legend has it, I'm not sure, I didn't confirm it, that these two had relations with each other, like husband and wife. Same thing with Nimrod. Nimrod did the same thing with his mother. He was married to his mother, and he got killed for that. Okay? All right, let's go to the next slide. Let's go to the next slide. Let's look at graveyards. You ever wonder, remember the question was asked, why certain things are the way it's set up? How come there's graveyards by the churches? How come you pass a church, you see a graveyard? Isn't that kind of odd when you see those things? Let's see what it says here. Graveyards were usually established at the same time as what? The building. building. So it wasn't like after somebody died, you put it. You had part of the planning to put a graveyard.
1: Of the relevant
0: place of worship, which can date back to the 8th and 14th centuries. That means that the disciples didn't practice that. Alright, these are later things. And were often used by those families who could not afford to be buried inside or beneath the place of worship itself. The place of worship is supposed to be set apart, consecrated unto the Most High. The dead defiles the place of worship. But these people set up a system where the dead can be beneath the place of worship itself. That means to say, when you go to some of these churches, these old churches, you don't even know what's below you when you have a service. In most cultures, those who were vastly rich had important professions, or were part of the nobility or of any other high uh, social status, were usually buried in individual crypts inside or beneath the relevant place of worship, with an indication of the name of the deceased, date of death, and other biographical data. In Europe, this was often accompanied with a depiction of the family coat of arms. And you can look that up on Wikipedia. Next slide. Leviticus 21, 1 to 2. Get that and get Isaiah 65, 3 to 5. The word graveyard, let's look at the English, old English term. Graveyard from Old English means graf or pit or yarden, which means garden. An open place. Garden. Garden. Keep that word in mind. And this is the dictionary I'm going to try to grab. Garden. An open place. So graveyard is called a garden. Basically a garden for the dead. Now let's take a look. Constantine's building program. Following Helena's trip to Jerusalem in 327, Constantine began erecting the first church buildings throughout the Roman Empire. Some at public expense. Interestingly, he named his church buildings after saints. Just as the pagans named their temples after God's. Constantine built his first church buildings upon the cemeteries where the Christians held meals for the dead saints. Let me read it again. Constantine built his first church buildings upon the cemeteries where the Christians held meals for the dead saints. That is, he built them over the bodies of the dead saints. Why? Because for at least a century beforehand, the burial places of the saints were considered holy spaces. Leviticus 21, 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Uh Speak unto the priest, the son of Aaron, and say unto them. Now the priests are supposed to be the ones operating the church business. Go ahead and read. There shall not be defiled for the dead among his people. So how can you not be defiled if you got dead bodies right in a place that's supposed to be holy? Go ahead. But for his kin that is near unto him that is for his mother and for his father and for his son and for his daughter and for his brother. Well, this is certainly not the graveyard of all the priests. Is that it? Alright, let's go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, so when you look around and you see these things brothers and sisters, there's a long history behind these things, but we don't ask because we simply don't know, we go along because we believe that these men are holy men, but we can see, and that's why people will get angry with these kind of teachings, because it makes them uncomfortable. Isaiah sixty-five three to five. Go ahead and read. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face. That in gardens, sacrifice in gardens. What is a sacrifice? In gardens. What is a sacrifice? In graveyards. In the graveyard. Go ahead and read. And burn, burneth incense upon altars of brick. Uh huh. Which remain among the graves, graves and, and gardens. The... Graves and gardens. Go ahead. And lodge in the monuments. Which eat swine's flesh. Wait a minute. It says, Christians held meals. What kind of meals? Read that again. Eat swine's flesh. They eat the swine's flesh. And broth of abominable things. And they have their soup and their broth or whatever it is. But in their vessels. In their vessels in the gardens or in the graveyards. You see the Bible talks about that. It's right there in the Word. You want to say something? That's right. For, for lunch, they go in the graveyard and have a, 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 a picnic, basically. Go ahead and read. Would say, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. So they say, Oh, we holy, we're doing a good thing, righteous thing. These are a smoke in my nose. So these people perform these wicked witchcraft ceremonies and they come before God and say, We are holy. But God says, This is what? A smoke in my nose. He's burning his nose. A fire that burns all day. He hits it. You see that? But this is what we go to. Church. All this foolishness is an abomination to the Most High. Next slide. Explore the first church buildings. Constantine even decorated new church buildings with pagan art. He also uh, favored it. Because of his fascination with sun worship, Basilicas were designed so that the sun fell upon the speaker as he faced the congregation. Like the temples of the Greeks and Romans, the Christian basilicas were built as a facade, of facade, the say front facing east. So you can see, that's why when you go to churches you see a sun symbol, that will cast the light down on a person speaking to present themselves as if they are gods. Mm-hmm. And look at all the pagan art that you find in churches. Everything was designed for a reason. A reason, brothers and sisters. That's why we've got to be very careful and understand this truth. Let's go to the next slide. Sun images. Deuteronomy 17, 2 the 4, Ezekiel 8, 6 and 16. This is a picture of the pagan sun worship Babylon. Being deified, people worshiping the sun. Okay, And as you can see over here, in this so-called chapel, right in the back, you find the sun, Symbol, but it's shaped like a womb, like the opening of, of, of a uterus. You see that? That's the symbol of the mother and the son, Mary and the, and the son, son of worship. Okay, as you can see over here too, the mother and the son, with the symbols of the sons around their head is raised. Sun images, Deuteronomy. Let's go there real quick. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17, uh-huh. verse 2 to 4. If there be found among you, within any of the gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God, in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods, and worshiped them, either the sun or moon. You go and serve other gods, no matter if you are man or male or female sun and moon, go ahead, or any of the hosts of heaven, Uh which I have not commanded, God did not command this foolishness that you see on the screen, go ahead, and it be told thee that thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true, and and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in Israel. So you see, God gives us instructions to check things out, and make sure it's correct, so you won't be transgressing against him. Verse five. Read verse five. Then shall thou bring forth that man or that woman which have committed that wicked thing unto thy gates, even that man or that woman, and shall stone them with stones till they die. Boy, I tell you, if if, if we was in Israel right now, there'll be a lot of dead people. I'll be, I'll probably be one of them with the stones too. All right, a lot of heads will be busted. Let's go to Ezekiel 8, verses 6. A lot of busted heads. Ezekiel 8 and 6. Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 6 and 16. Uh-huh. Ezekiel he 8. said, furthermore unto me, son of man... So, God, God is speaking to Ezekiel to reveal certain crimes that were committed in Israel. Seest thou what thou do, even the great abomination that the house of Israel committed here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. So Israel is doing some wicked things that God says, I got to leave the sanctuary. I can't stick around here. This is too much for me to deal with. He says that I should depart far off from my sanctuary. Go ahead. But turn thee yet again and thou shalt see greater abominations look one more time and you can see some greater abominations verse 16 and he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house of whose house the Lord's house when they call the churches the Lord's house read on and behold at the door of the temple of the Lord even in the door of the temple of the Lord between the porch between the, the, altar, the porch and the altar were about 5 and 20 men 25 men like Christmas 25th day. With their backs toward the temple of the Lord. Uh huh. And their faces towards the east. Their faces toward the east. Where does the sun rise from? The east. The east. Why do we have early sunrise worship? To worship the sun. To worship the sun. Go ahead. And they worship the sun toward the east. They worship the sun towards the east. Next slide. Hmm. This is the Pope, the current Pope. What does he have up in his hand? The sun. You can't tell me that these people are worshiping the same abominations God says abomination to him. Look at the altar. Look at these guys bowing at the lifting up of the sun. Do you see that? Next slide. There goes a shrine with Mary with the sun in the middle of her heart. And a Muslim symbol right below her because Islam came out from the Vatican and most people don't know that. That's a class by itself. There goes this the cross. The cross of the so-called Jesus is smaller than the mother because it's all about worshiping the wicked mother versus the, the, the son himself. Now, this is a picture. We'll, we can look at that later on if we have some time. You see this guy right here? That's Pastor Bryce, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, bowing before the Pope, bringing gifts to the Pope, Pope John Paul II, it's on YouTube, you can look at it, this guy is calling the Pope your Holiness, Adventist Church, do you know that this Pope, the one we looked at just a minute ago, go back, this Pope, his brother, is a Seventh-day Adventist minister?
1: Go on. Back. He's a Jesuit.
0: And they're all Jesuits. Yes. Wow. Go back. Go forward. Alright, let's take a look at some of these things. You can see um, Helena right above here. Remember, Constantine had his mother erected? Wow. Yeah. If you go back, remember you see this picture with yeah. Constantine's mom? Yeah. That's her right up there. And she's hovering over the Pope's seat, the chair. Right? Look how these guys prostrate themselves before all this wickedness. In front of the altar stood the bishop's chair, which was called cathedra. The term ex cathedra is derived from this chair. Ex cathedra means from the throne. The bishop's chair or the throne, as it is called, was the biggest and most elaborate seat in the building. It replaced the seat of the judge in the Roman Basilica, and it was surrounded by two rows of chairs reserved for the elders. The sermon was preached from the bishop's chair. That's why when you go to churches, you see a big old chair in the front, and you want to roll. Well, maybe you never ask yourself, but this is the history. They borrowed that from paganism. Let's go to the next slide. It was the custom of the Roman emperors to have lights carried before them whenever they appeared in public. The lights were accompanied by a basin of fire filled with aromatic spices. Taking his cue from this custom, custom Constantine introduced candles and burning of incense as part of the church service. And they were brought in when the clergy entered the room. All these features were borrowed from Greco-Roman culture and carried straight into the Christian Church. 4th century Christianity was being profoundly shaped by Greek pagan, paganism and Roman imperialism. So we can see how everything was borrowed from the past. As one Catholic scholar wrote, With the coming of Constantine, various customs of ancient Roman culture flowed into the Christian world liturgy. liturgy. Even the ceremonies involved in the ancient worship of the Emperor as deity or God found their way into the church worship only in secularized form. Next slide. Should these things ordained unto devils be utilized in the Lord's business? You got this man bowing down to his son here and he got incense in his hand. This is the current Pope. He has an incense uh, flashing back and forth to this black Mary and this black Jesus over here, which is the true colors of our people because they know the truth. Let's go to First Corinthians 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to the devil. I say the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, and to who? And not to God. So when they think that they're doing these things to God, they're sacrificing those things, they're doing things to demons. These church buildings are buildings erected for demons. Continue. And I would not that they should have fellowship with devils. We are not supposed to have fellowship with demons. All the churches came out from Mama, Rome. And all of them are part of the same demonic system. Remember what we showed from Greece? They're the ones who bring up this whole system, right? And then Rome took over from Greece. That's why it keeps mentioning uh, Greco-Roman. They always connect them together because it hasn't been broken. We cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. We can't fellowship with the devils and God's business for Go ahead. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the the table of judgment. You see that? Lord's Supper is not scriptural. Passover is scriptural. Lord's Supper is not. It was borrowed from Constantine. He was the one who set it up. But the apostles will not tell you that. Because they're making too much money. And your life is not important. But God looks at you as being important to Him. Second Kings twenty three, and the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest uh-huh. and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal. So the king was doing a good thing. He commanded the high priest, go into the houses of the Lord and take out the vessels, because the people brought a bunch of pagan stuff into the temples of the Lord. You can't build a building that says this is for the Lord and bring in a bunch of foolishness up in there and say it's holy. We just read that in 1 Corinthians. All right, continue. And for the grove. What? And for the grove. The graveyard stuff. And for all the hosts of heaven. The host of heavens are the sun, the moon, the stars that you see the popes and them worship. Go ahead. And he burned them without Jerusalem. He destroyed and Jerusalem. all of them. Are these guys destroying anything? you see him destroy anything? Or is he prostrating before him? Go ahead. And they burned him without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron. Where did he take them? The fields of Kidron. He took them outside of Jerusalem. Far away from the holy place. And burnt them up there. Go ahead. And carried the ashes of them onto Bethel. He took the ashes and he brought it to Bethel. And he put down the adulterous priests. He did what? He put down the idolatrous priests. priests. This is idol worship. This is an idol. He put these knuckleheads, these ballheads down. Whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense. The, in the kings idolatry. of Judah. Wasn't Constantine a king? Wasn't he practicing the same paganism? Go ahead. In the place of the cities of Judah and the place round about Jerusalem, them also did them also that burn incense unto Baal to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the hosts of heaven. Read that. He says, and those also who burn incense to Baal, this is what these guys are doing, to the sun, to the moon, and to the planets. These guys are burning these things to Baal. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord, without Jerusalem. Onto the Brook Kidron, and burn it at the Brook Kidron. Now, it says groves in English translation, but it's actually Ashereth pole. Ashereth is where we have the term Easter from. Easter comes from Ashereth. These are just variations of the words. Alright, go ahead. And stamp it small to powder. You made it into powder. And cast the powder it off upon the graves of the children of the people. He cast it upon the same ones who stuck this foolishness. This is the file, it's going to be on your graves. In other words, you guys are going to pay for this judgment on you all, okay? Jeremiah 7 verses 8 to 10. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely? and burn incense unto Baal. you trust in lying words, who's the one giving the lying words? These guys right over here, all pastors, priests, and so forth, bishops. They're lying to the people. Go ahead. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? Uh-huh. And come and stand before me. And come and stand before me uh in this house, in this house which is called by my name, which they call Church of God, Adventist Church, Church of Holiness. This church, that church, they give all these titles. Jehovah, this, that, you name it. But they're doing things that are lying words and doing things contrary to what is written in the Word. Go ahead. And say we are delivered to do all these. About that's why they have revivals we are delivered and the preacher's preaches wonderful messages and all his forces goes on in there but it's not of the Lord is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes behold even I have seen it saith the Lord all right but well, you can see clearly brothers and sisters something is wrong something is wrong with the water that we've been drinking from the stream is polluted 14 16. Go ahead and read. For the Levites left their suburbs and their possession and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord. Okay, what happened here? What you're reading is that some of the priests, the Levites, was kicked out from doing their jobs. Because the same wicked kings both the wicked king, and his sons, the, you know, they wanted to do things different from the way God had ordained things. Because God put the Levites as the priests, the government workers, basically the medical doctors of Israel. That's their job. But he fired them. Okay. And so what happened, they left Judah. I mean, they left um, the suburbs, the places that they lived amongst the rest of the tribes, and they migrated south from All right, continue. And he ordained him priest for the high places. So this man now, this king, Jeroboam, at this time Israel was split into two kingdoms. First, David had sinned. God says, okay, I'm going to keep you going. He had a son called Solomon. Solomon was a little kid, and he messed up. God says, I'm going to keep it going for David's sake, but under your son that is born unto you Solomon, I will rent the kingdom. So Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was doing wicked things, but God still kept the promise by giving him the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern regions with the ten tribes of Israel was placed into the hands of Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was King Solomon's apprentice or his administrative assistant. He was the man that was there along with Solomon. So he knows how to run a government. And God had told Jeroboam, I will give you ten of the tribes to be head of them, a king. If you behave yourself, they will be yours forever. But he did not. He started off okay because what happened was Jeroboam was protesting against what uh, Solomon was doing. Solomon was doing a lot of stuff after he married these strange wives and bringing all his idol worship stuff in Israel. And God was upset and Jeroboam was one of the spokespeople against that wickedness. And Jeroboam fled for his life and went to Egypt and lived there. When Solomon was dead, Jeroboam came back and told Solomon's son, Rehoboam, what are you going to do? Are you going to do change um, your father's policy, or are you going to continue with your father's policy? Rehoboam says, "My father's, uh, if you put it in a good word, is my father's dingling is smaller than my finger." Mm-hmm. He, he, he insulted his father by saying that. But I My father beat you with whips. I will beat you with scorpions. So, in other words, he taxed them even more. More than weekend. the father did. He was even more harder more on weekend. Israel. So Jeroboam said, Okay, that's it. I got your word. The kingdom is divided. And that time, Israel was divided. That's why I want to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so forth. When Jesus says, I came not but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When it says, I came to my own, my own received me not. He's not referring to the lost sheep of the House of Israel. They were already scattered. When Jeroboam had sinned, God caused the Assyrian nations to come into the Northern Kingdom and take them away as slaves. Some of them remained, but the majority of them were enslaved. Okay? So that's the history behind it. So now, getting back to this right here, Jeroboam had ordained for himself, priests for high places. Continue reading. And for the devils. And for the devils. You see what he did? He went astray, big time. Go ahead. And for the calves which he had made. So he made calves. Having anything made is a, is an insult. But in Hebrew, an oxen is a symbol of a power. As a matter of fact, the word the Aleph, The letter A in Hebrew means a power, for a symbol of the ox. So when we look at the ox, which is also used to give the name Elohim. The word Elohim for God means power. And you look at the word calf, that they will worship in calves. A calf is a young power. And God says we aren't supposed to follow any young powers at all. As a matter of fact, when you follow the women and you follow the children, it's an abomination to God. Because God set the men to be the leaders of the house. Amen. Next week we'll cover that in, in a class. Okay. So everything was out of order. And this was all shown up in the practices of worship and so forth. Alright, so continue. And after them out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. So, just the same way we read in Maccabees, that some of the men decided we're not going to follow the Gentiles, and we're going to go and worship privately. Those who want to do the right thing, they left Jeroboam, and they came to Judah, because they know God's commandments, and this says we're not breaking it. Okay, let's go to Jeremiah 11 and 13. For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have ye set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. Now Judah and the South were starting to do the same crimes like the North did. They set up places of worship in every city. Okay? I am worship once again. And they burn incense to Baal. All these things that were going on here. Let's go to the next slide. All right. Let's look at some of the history with regards to, remember, Constantine is the father of buildings, right? Interesting. I've never wondered why the, all this stained glass. Colored glass was first introduced to church buildings in the sixth century by Gregory of Tours, 538-594. The glass was set into the narrow windows of some Romanesque, which means Roman design, churches. Uh, Sugar, Sugar, 1081 and 1151, Abbot of Denis, Abbot of Saint Dennis took colored glass to another level. He adorned the glass with sacred paintings. He thus became the first to use stained glass windows in church buildings. Placing them in his Gothic cathedrals. let has got there? Jump down to the bottom. They induce these designs that they have, they induce feelings associated with worship of a mighty, fearing. fearing, inspiring God. Now, what you see here, this is a Gothic design. See these old European designs? But guess what building this is? Seventh day Adventist Church. Mm-hmm. Guess what that building is over there? That's also the 7th Adventist Church. If you look closely, you also see steeples. We will cover that shortly. But look here, stained glass. And you see this long thing here? That's an obelisk, obelisk which is also known as the male penis. Okay, right in the middle. It's a symbol of sun worship. Let's go to the next slide. The steeple. However, with the rise of the Roman Catholic Church, the practice of crowning buildings, like the ones you see over here, with pointed tops uh, re-emerged. Toward the end of the Byzantine uh, period, Catholic popes drew inspiration from the obelisks of ancient Egypt. So we can see, once again, another Seventh-day Adventist church with a steeple. But that's the Church of God Seven day over here, too. See it? You see the Oblisks outline right here, The pyramid to the top? And that's the same thing over here. Once again, some of you all have seen this before, but this is the story behind the obelisk. The obelisk symbolized the sun god Ra. And during the brief religious reformation of uh, Akhenaten Ach- was said to be the petrified ray of the Athen, Athen, or Athen, whatever, the Sundis. It was also thought that the God, what, existed within the structure. So, history is teaching us that this, this design here is not by accident, the people know that it harnessed gods, demons. The Bible says, we know those who sacrifice to the idols are sacrificing unto who? Devils. So this is a demonic um, design right here. What is a demonic design doing on these buildings? That's the question, let's move on. Once again, this is the Vatican. The tallest Egyptian, excuse me, a place is in the square in front of the Lateran Basilica in Rome. This one was actually taken from the from, uh, from Egypt, and as you can see, right below it, it says Constantine right here, um, Maximus, and some other Latin stuff here. But on top of this symbol, you can see all the Egyptian designs in there. And on top of it, you can see the Christian so-called cross right up at the tip of everything. You see that? All right. So this goes to show that they know exactly what they're doing. The whole thing is actually from Egypt, but what they did was just simply put on the bottom where they calls it holds it um, a memorial to Constantine. Let's move on. Next slide. As you can see on the screen, some of you all have seen this. The same oblisk, 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 or whatever you want to pronounce it, is on the grave of Ellen G. White. Ellen G. White. That's her gravestone. And you can see it's an Egyptian pyramid. All right? Showing us the connection with the same uh, paganism that the Lord says we need to stay away from. All right, next slide. The pulpit, let's look at this a little bit. Now, the book of Ezra, it talks about, I think it's Nehemiah Ezra. That Ezra made a pulpit of wood, so that he can talk to the people with regards to the word. But these people have their own system of pulpit also. So they would use what you find, you know, as a reference in the scripture to justify it, or as a mask. To cover their pagan system. As early as 8250, the ambo was replaced by the pulpit. Cyprian of Carthage, 200-258, speaks of placing the leader of the church into public office upon a pulpitium. Our word pulpit is derived from the Latin word pulpitium, which means a stage. Okay, so you can see when this thing was set up, all right, platforms, the pulpitium or pulpit was propped up in the highest elevated place in the congregation, why is that? You see. To elevate the guy as being godlike himself, okay, because remember it says when they set the sunlight um, windows and stuff, in the shape of a sun, is to project light on the person that's on that pulpit to give him like godlike like uh, power, exactly. Next slide, the pew and the balcony, this is a balcony here, right up to the tops and stuff, and the pew, okay? It says the word pew is derived from the Latin podium, it means a seat raised up above floor level or a balcony. Pews were unknown to the church building for the first thousand years of Christian history. In the early basilicas, the congregation stood throughout the entire service. Mm -hmm. This is still the practice among many Eastern Orthodox. Let's go to the next slide. Contemporary church architecture. In a concert-style building, a small communion table may appear on the floor below the pulpit, The communion table is typically decorated with brass candlesticks, a cross, and flowers. Two candles on the communion table have become the sign of orthodoxy in most Protestant churches today. As with so many parts of the church service, the presence of candles was borrowed from the ceremonial court of who? The Roman Empire. So the candles... The whole table is set up, is all paganism, Borrow from there, all right? More about the building. At this point you may be thinking to yourself, so what's the big deal? Who cares if the first century Christians did not have buildings? Or if church buildings were patterned after pagan beliefs or practices? Or if medieval Catholics based their architecture on pagan philosophy? What has that uh, to do with, got to do with us today? Consider this next sentence. The social location of the church meeting expresses and influences the character of the church. If you assume that, if you assume that where the church gathers is simply a matter of convenience, you are tragically mistaken. You are overlooking a basic reality of humanity. Every building we encounter elicits a response from us. In other words, brothers and sisters, it says, to put it in the words of Henry uh, Lefebvre, quote, space is never empty, it always embodies a meaning. In other words, have you ever heard of Feng Shui? Feng Shui is a ancient Chinese our custom of using witchcraft, okay, of designing buildings in such a way to, encor- to encourage a certain harmony with the spirits, the spirit world. It's not by accident. In other words, what they're saying the way the buildings are designed, let's go to the next slide, is designed to harbor certain spirits. Look at the way this building is laid out. If this is an obelisk, remember the obelisk points up, and the obelisk is the male genitals. Look at the way the male genitals would reach up the passageway. Do you see that? The two sides, the way everything's set up. And who's to the top? Mary, the woman. Why is it designed that it has the male genital pointing straight to the woman, to the top? Okay, remember I said earlier, and I I can do a, a class perhaps one of these days, I can't guarantee when, but the worship of Nimrod and the whole system of Babylon came from a mother and son, okay? And just to give you briefly, like I said before, they were married. It was one of the abominations God says should not happen. And they have, when he was killed, she was pregnant. And she hid herself for a while she said the son God up in heaven give her the son in other words she was claiming immaculate conception and his name was called Tammuz this is where you find that the Bible is mentioned about Tammuz it says son of, of, of uh, man look and see what these people are doing they face East and they worship okay so the sun, her son, Nimrod, impregnated the mother goddess up there and bringing forth the sun. This is the whole sick system that many churches are based upon, okay? So everything is laid out for a reason. Look at this the same way too. The shape of it, no different from that, okay? All the way to the top. And look at the direction, look at the map. They're all pointed towards where? The east. Not towards Jerusalem, but pointing towards where the sun rises. That's why they always have in a liturgy sunrise worship. Because it's all about a system of worship in Nimrod through all of these objects. But directly worship indirectly worshiping the devil. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Feng Shui observations have traditionally been carried out by feng shui masters who well, traditionally come from families of feng shui masters. They are involved in the layout of cities, skyscrapers, office buildings, homes, gardens, rooms, beds, desks, chairs, windows, and what? graves. And often tell fortunes by consulting geometric figures and check houses for evil spirits on the side. When choosing the right spot, feng shui masses often walk around with a special compass. So they're checking to see, to to receive the best energies, spirits. And I I think I mentioned to you all, I have an article by an uh, architect who designed banks and different important buildings in Europe. He stated that, um, because they asked him in an interview, and this is an interview, this is a magazine that was published by the United Nations. I got this right, back in the early 90s. Okay? He said, in an interview, they asked him, Why do you design the buildings with left, left angles? His answer was, the reason is because left, the word angle, comes from the word angel. So, left angels and right angels, the opposite of left is right. Right is righteousness. Dealing with God. Left is unrighteousness. Dealing with who? Hasatan, the devil. See? So, he is he is giving you a little clue. If you don't catch it, you don't catch it. But he's giving us a little clue that the buildings are designed. That's why sometimes you walk into the building and you feel like something feels strange, or I feel sick, or whatever it is. Like you're not supposed to come in this building. You walk up near certain buildings and something feel wrong. Because the people designed that for a reason. Alright? Few people can walk into a powerful cathedral without experiencing the power of the space. The power of the space. So you walk in there and you feel something happening with you. Let's go to the next slide. You want me to read more section? All right. Okay, let me go to the higher. Worship. Worship is seen as something detached from the whole fabric of life and package for group uh, consumption. Centuries of Gothic architecture have taught us uh, badly about what worship really is. Few people can walk into a powerful cathedral without experiencing the power of the space. The lightning is indirect and subdued. The ceilings are high. The colors are earthy and rich. Sound travels in a specific way. Uh, All these things work together to give us a sense of awe and wonder. They are designed to manipulate the senses and create a worshipful atmosphere. All right? Some traditions add smells to the mix, but the effect is always the same. Our senses interrupt our space to bring us to a particular state of the soul, a state of awe, mystery and transcendence that equals an escape from normal life. So in other words, they set you up brothers and sisters. They put you on la-la-la, and then they milk you out of your money. They only keep you awake to get the money out of your pocket. I know the code word, awake. Okay, sit. Alright, let's go to the next slide now. Now we're going to cover briefly, and a little touch on that. The worship days, holidays, Shabbat. Based on what the Most High set up, He set the planets to tell us our times and our seasons. Let's go to the next slide. Genesis 1, 14 says, And God said that there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to do what? Divide. Divide the light from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. This is a class by itself, right? But the point of the matter is God gave us the tools, the timepieces, the clock that we need to focus on, to know the times. Forget about the rest of the world. We all speak different languages. We all have different levels of understanding, okay, in our uh, learning. But one thing that we all understand, no matter how educated you are, is that when you look up in the sky, the sky doesn't lie to you. It doesn't set you wrong. You don't miss anything. It's accurate. Okay, let's move on. Right. The sun, the moon, and the stars are not there for worship. It's there to tell time. That's all it is. Okay? And secondary, or whichever way you want to look at it, to give light upon the earth also. Okay? So as you see in the picture, it's a timepiece. Alright? Let's go to Psalms 89, get that? 34, 37. But let's start at Exodus 12 and 1. In Exodus 12 and 1, we have a clue also. To help us to understand how God's calendar works. Because this contradicts the Roman calendar that we have today. God says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, and the word month in Hebrew is moon, shall be unto you the beginning of months, or moon. This moon that you have right here begins the month. This moon marks a time period of beginning. It says beginning. It says midway or you look at such and such and then you continue from there on. No. Beginning of months, it shall be the first moon of the year for you. So he's telling us in this text what we need to look at to know what begins the year. What begins the month. In Hebrew, the word month,
1: it is simply moon.
0: All right. Let's go to Psalms eighty-nine thirty-four. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the things that is gone out of my lips. Okay, so God give us he already said it in the beginning, it was good. He said it was science and so forth to uh, govern the, uh, the seasons. He's not changing from that. Psalms 89, 34. 37. It shall be established forever uh-huh. as the moon. It shall be established forever as what? The moon. As the moon. So, as covenant is tied with the moon. Covenant. When you see the moon, you know that God is still in His covenant. The moon is a sign. All you have to do is look and see the moon is still there. Okay, God is still in his coming. It's simple as that. Alright? Let's go to Proverbs 14 and 5. We're just showing you that the system we call churchity has strayed away from everything Godly and has set up their own system based on a Gentile way of doing things. Proverbs 14 and 5. A faithful witness will not lie but a false witness will utter lies. A faithful witness will not lie. But a false witness, that's the calendar, will lie. It will always lie to you. Alright? Because when you look at the calendar and it says day number one, first day of September, for example, the first day of September is not even the same first day of the month based on the moon. So it's lying to you, all right? Let's go to Amos 5 and 8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars of, seven stars and Orion,
2: and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and
0: poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. All right. Why did it put in there the seven stars of Orion is because it's part of knowing the beginning of the year. When you understand how the moon works, the first day of the year is lined up with the seven stars of Orion and lined up with the moon. All these things is like a, a, a reset button. Everything resets at that point from that time on moving forward is the beginning of the year it always, it always, always interact that way, okay, and that's a class by itself. But also let me show something real quick. Uh, if you notice carefully in the last part of verses 8, let me read that. He says, And maketh the day dark with night, who calleth for the waters of the seas. He is telling you there, because it mentions Orion, it mentions Um, indirectly also the sun because we're talking about something turning from light to dark Okay, so the sun is included in there but if you notice carefully it doesn't say anything about the moon but the moon is in there how do we know that? because the last part of the sentence says who calleth for the waters of the sea what controls the waters of the sea? The 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 moon if you understand that If you look at the tides to see he's going up, you know he's also included in the moon. That's why it says dark sentences and parables and different things like that. Most people don't understand these things. Alright? Okay. Let's go to Sarat now, Ecclesiasticus, 43.6-8. 43.6-8 He made the moon also to serve in her season for a declaration of time. Wait a minute. He made the moon for what? In her seasons, for a declaration of times—that's a timepiece, okay—and a sign for the world—that's the occupants on this earth. A sign, something—a sign is something that you can easily see. So, if you're cut off from civilization and you're in the jungle somewhere, and you have no calendar. How do you know what time of the year, the month, and so forth it is? You just got to look up at the sky. So God set things up. No matter where you are in the world, you can look up at the sky and know the truth. You understand that? Men can change calendars depending on the government. and say, okay, next week, tomorrow's going to be Tuesday. You can't do anything about that. And then after a generation passed, people will be worshipping another day for Sabbath. But God says, look to the moon for this sign. Continue reading.
2: Verse for the 7. the moon
0: is the sign of feast. From the moon is the sign of the feast. Hold that for a moment. Hold that for a moment. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 23. Put your finger on that, Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, 1 to
2: 5. 1 to 5. Uh huh. And the Lord speak unto Moses,
0: same. So Moses didn't make this up. He's receiving instructions. Go ahead. Speak unto the children of Israel. Speak to Israel. And say unto them. Say it to them. Concerning the feast of the Lord. The feast. So we see that Ecclesiasticus says, From the moon is a sign of the feast. So when you go to Leviticus 23, it is telling us. Concerning the Feast of the Lord, which ties with the moon, go ahead. Which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Holy convocations, when the congregation is supposed to meet. Go ahead. Even these are my feasts. These are my feasts when you're going to meet, when the congregation is going to meet together to meet me. Because this is the time I show up to meet with you all. Go ahead. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. That's the first immediate feast appointed by the moon that the Most High have established. Not Saturday. Shabbat is based on the moon. Period. Okay, continue. A holy convocation is set apart from the rest of the world and the rest of the seasons and everything else. Convocation gathering. He shall do no work therein. Rest. It, it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. In all your dwellings. Verses 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which he shall proclaim in their season. Now he's going to the yearly or the seasonal feasts. First he starts off with the, the uh, minute hand, and now he's going to the hour hand. The, the smallest one, then he's going to bigger ones, okay? The one that's most spread out. The, the seasonal ones. Go ahead. In the fourth, 14th day of the first month, at even is the Lord's Passover. Uh huh. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Eleven Bread. Okay, we can stop there. So everything is based on that. And that's a class by itself. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 43, read from verse 7. From. For the moon is the sign of peace. That's right. A light that increaseth in her perfection. Verses 8. The month is called after her name. The month is called after her name. This moon shall be unto you the beginning of moons. It shall be the first moon of the year to you. So when you read it in English, month. uh, What does that mean? Look at the Roman calendar, month, month. Okay. Sunday, the first day, of the, okay, the month. But you're not reading the Scriptures. God is telling you how to calculate His times. Read it again. The month is called after her name, okay. increasing wonderfully in her changing, being an instrument of the armies above, Amen. shining in the firmament of heaven. Amen. All right. Tell you what. Read down to verses 10. The beauty of heaven. That's the beauty of the, the shining lights. Looks pretty at night. The glory of the stars. The beautiful twinkle stars. An ornament given light in the highest place of the Lord. It looks like diamonds shining. Go ahead. At the commandment of the Holy One. They will stand in their order. So they never change the job they're put in to do. And never faint in their watches. They never faint in their watches. They're not watching us. But there are watches like, that's where you get the term watch from. What time do you have? You look at the watch. There are time pieces. Alright, let's go to chapter 33 in the same book, 7 to 9, chapter 33, you can mark this one too, it connects the dots, 33, 7, 7 to 9, ask him a question, let's see what it says here, why do if one day excel another, why is one day better than the next one, yeah. when is all the light of every day, the ear is of the sun. When you look at every day, it looks the same. There's nothing special about it because the sun doesn't distinguish one day looking better from the next. You go outside today, you go outside the next day, there's nothing that the sun is going to do to tell you that there's something special about the day. So, where do we go? By the knowledge of the Lord, they were distinguished. But God has given us some way to distinguish one from the other. And He altered seasons and feasts. He altered what? Seasons and feasts. Seasons and feasts. Now the clue to know it's talking about the moon is found in what he just says. And by the knowledge of the Lord, they were distinguished, and he does what? Alters. Alter. Alter. Why does it say altar? Does the moon does the sun alternate? No. Does the sun alternate? No. Do you see the sun changing small, and big? Or whatever it is does it alternate no what alternates the moon. the moon is the only thing that alternates all right that's why a woman and the moon are tied to each other she goes through changes and a man can't figure out half the time what's going on that's just, just the way of her nature god made her that way that's why a woman is called the sister moon and the man is called the sun verses 8. Okay. by
2: the
0: knowledge of the Lord they were distinguished and He altered seasons and feasts. We already got the teaching that this, the feasts are tied with the moon. In Leviticus 23, okay? Let's go to verses 9 now. Some of them have He made high days. Some of those days, out of the days that the sun is there, which is altered by the, distinguished by the moon, He has made those to be high days or high holy days and hallowed them. He hallowed them. High holy days. Go ahead. And some of
2: them have he made
0: ordinary days. Some days he made ordinary days because it is based on the sun. The only way we can know the difference is the alternation that takes place because of the moon. That's it. You can't wait for someone to make a calendar and believe that. All right. With that said, let's move on to Ezekiel 20 and 12. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Moreover, also, I gave them my Sabbaths, my Shabbats, to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. The word sanctified means to set apart. I gave them my Shabbats to be a sign between me and them. Now, if you don't keep the Shabbats, or if you don't recognize Shabbat because we are still in captivity and we're not we're not going to be able to do the Shabbats the way that the Most High had regarded it. You know why? Because we have a teaching in Exodus chapter, I think it's 8. When God said to, when Moses said to Pharaoh that God said to him, let my people go that they can come and worship me in this mountain. Unless we are free from captivity, we are not going to be totally free. Some of us might be able to do it And sometimes we will not be able to do it. It's difficult. Because we are true Israel in captivity until this day. So he says that he set this as a sign between me and them. Not the other nations. Constantine put out a creed. And this is kind of um, truncated a little bit. This is important to keep in your understanding of what's going on in the world system. Constantine Creed goes like this. I renounce all customs, rights, legalisms, unleavened breads, that's the feasts, and sacrifices of lambs of the who? Hebrews. That's our people. This is part of the Creed becoming a Christian. When you become a Christian, this was something that you have to say. Like you're making a pledge of allegiance. Okay? Allegiance to the system of Rome. So you have to kick off the practices of Israel, and all the other feasts of the Hebrews, sacrifices, prayers, aspirations, what else? Purification. Purifications. That's why the Gentiles are so nasty when it comes to lifestyle. Okay, Purifications, sanctifications, propitiations, and fasts, and what else? New Moons, because when you get rid of this, you have that calendar you understand that you have another calendar and shabbats because this comes before the shabbats this be- tells you to mark shabbats and superstitions and what hymns so now you get rid of the hymns that you're supposed to sing in hebrew and now you pick up the stuff from the gentiles chants observances and what synagogues so that's why we end up with church and everything is church i'm going to go to church <laughs> and may i be an anathema in the world to come, and may my soul, well, I'm not going to repeat all that. Be set down with the devil and the devil. So this is the creed that was given to the peoples. Next slide. Saturn, a god in the an ancient Roman religion. That's a picture of it there. Saturn was a god in ancient Roman religion and a character in myth. Saturn is a complex figure. Now know why it's complex? Because he comes under different names. Dragon. that's the devil yes. and the devil is called a devil dragon he has so many different names you can't figure him out one minute he's um bacchus the next minute he's saturn he's another name but it's all the same demon that you're worshiping all right he has a long history behind it he was the first god of the capital 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 keep that in mind all of state buildings rome is the capital of christianity Known since the most ancient times as Saturnius Mons, and was seen as the god of what? Generation, Generation dissolution, plenty, wealth, agriculture, periodical, renewal, liberation. In later developments, he came to be also the god of what? Mm. God of what? Mm. So to mess with our time and put this instead. Let's go to the next slide. His reign was depicted as a golden age of abundance and peace. The Temple of Saturn in the Roman Forum housed the state treasury. In December, he was celebrated at what is perhaps the most famous of the Roman festivals, the Saturnalia, which is called Christmas. A time of feasting, role reversals. you know what role reversals is? Role reversals? Pride. If you give pride, if you are master, you become a slave. If whatever you want, you can have it. That's the reason why, the, you know, the practices of the eye, the mistletoe and all those different things, still still no practice today, okay? Because when you put that over your door, you've got to kiss such and such, no matter who it is. There's certain witchcraft powers that goes along with that. Free speech, so the slave can tell the master to do whatever you want, go to hell or whatever it is, and the master will do whatever the slave, only for that one time, okay? Gift given and what? Revelry. So wait a minute, this says Saturn, but the one that we looked at before was Bacchus, who was involved in revelry. So, what's the difference? See, because if you don't study to show yourself approved, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. Same package. Same thing. Saturn, the planet, and Saturday are both named after the who. The scripture says you should not even mention the name of other gods in your lips. Unfortunately, you know, we do that all the time. We call the days of the week and months of the year. Unfortunately, let's go to the next slide. So this is a calendar based on the new moon being the first day of the month. This is a worship day where you restrain yourself from civil work, working for another person or another company, but you can do little chores around your house. It's not a Shabbat, okay? It's a time for gathering and uh, reverence the the Most High. And then you start counting the first day of work which is the second day over here. And then you count the third day which is the second day of work, fourth day which is the third day of work, the fourth day which is the fifth day of work, the, the sixth day which is the fifth day of work, and the sixth day which is the seventh day of work. Okay, so you got one, two, three, four, five, six days so you labor and do all your work, but then the seventh day is a Shabbat. And it's always consistent all the way through. You have to look for the slither of the moon, and this is how you know as the moon begins to show its first slither of light, sliver of light, you know that in new moon month is being born. Just like when a woman is, is having given birth, from the time you see the crown of the child's head, you know birth is about to, to happen. Okay? Not yet until that head, and it just continues until all the way out. That's life. It's This is in harmony with the cycles of a woman, the cycles of life, and everything that we do. That's why the farmers use a different calendar. It's called an almanac for planting. Because if they go out of that almanac, they are not going to produce anything. But, society have changed things to force things into the way it is. Let's go to the next slide. The scene. As various other Protestant denominations were born, they also helped to reshape the Catholic liturgy. So they take what they already had from the Catholic system and they just simply shaped it up a little bit here and there. Okay? So Luther also contributed to this whole mess. By reforming the Catholic Mass, the high point of the Catholic Mass has always been the Eucharist, Eucharist, Eucharist. also known as Communion or the Lord's Supper. You see that sun worship thing that the guy, the Pope, has? They put that same piece of bread that they, it was not even a bread wafer wafer inside of that and they worship that because it's sun worship. So here you have your so called Lord's Supper, but if you look at the top, there's this cup, chalice, and then you see the sun. You see it's flaming up it to the top? They're telling you what it's based on a sun worship system, all right? Because you can see the cup is shining like a sun and it's uplifted, okay? The Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli, back in 1484, 1531, made a few of his own reforms that helped shape today's order of worship. He replaced the altar table with something called communion table from which the bread and the wine were administered, all right? He also had the bread and cup carried to the people and they're using wooden trays and cups. So when you come to a Church of God, for example, worship, they put them on a, the plate and they carry it around and give everyone a little dip and so forth. That came from this guy. That was not the way it was done back in the day. You see that? So all these practices that they says you must, you must do, you must do, and they beat you over the head. They don't even instruct you and tell you, give you a history, and then you can decide whether you want to do it or not. Alright, let's move on. Most protestant churches still have such a table, two candles, typically sit upon it, custom that came directly from the ceremonial court of the Roman emperors. Zwingli also recommended that the Lord's Supper be taken quarterly, four times a year. This was in opposition to taking it weekly, as other Reformers advocated. So they started to go back and forth, taking it as often as they feel like doing it. Adventist does it every quarter. But they see where it came from. Alright, let's move on. John Calvin also put his own little piece in there too. Okay, with regards to the um, to the sermon and the collection of money that followed the sermon. Right, okay. Most notable was the collection of money that followed the sermon. Okay, so the order of service... The picking up of money, all those different things were part of this system. Martin Luther is equally credited with the fostering with fostering this attitude. At the beginning of every service, he had the Ten Commandments uttered to create a sense of veneration. Next slide. The Methodists also popularized the Sunday evening worship service, 7 o'clock. We can have service at such and such and such a time. Where they came from? Church of God, seven they from the Methodists.
2: Because that's the
0: way the started the church is where they came from. Exactly. The Frontier Revivalist music spoke to the soul and sought to elicit an emotional response to salvation message. So not only they have a message to deal with salvation, but they got the music to give you that feeling to push you. That's why they play the organs. They play the music a certain way. To make you feel sad and sorry. And you, the music is played long enough. is there any other souls out there? That's what this altar is for. And the player that son of my music. And the player that son of my stuff. And you drop everything. And because of the music. The lights. Everything that is happening. You want to give your soul to the Lord. And then the next week you're the devil again. Moody's preaching. How many of y'all know about Moody. Yeah. Yeah. Preaching was dominated, dominated by a single interest: individual salvation. All right, he instituted the solo hymn that followed the pastor's sermon. We want the song of the day. The song of the day. Moody was the one who set the mood to get you. Okay. Moody. The invitation solo hymn was sung by a soloist. until George Beverly Shea encouraged Billy Graham to employ a choir to sing songs like Just As I Am, as people came forward to receive Christ. In addition, Moody was the first to ask those who wanted to be saved to stand up from their seats and be led in a sinner's prayer. It also is worth noting that Moody was heavily influenced by the Plymouth Brethren teaching on the end times. This was the teaching that Christ may return at any second before the great tribulation. The, this preaching is also called pre-tribulation uh, yeah, there you go. which gave rise to the idea that Christians must act quickly now, 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 now to save as many souls as possible before the world ends. So join my church and then become a member you know what I mean? You ever go to the cash register to check out and they tell you, are you a member? Would you like to join? You? you can get something, some percent off. I tell you what, you can get a percent off all this through now. This is only for good for a few days. It's the same method of persuasion to get you to make a decision, but you have no clue what it's all about. What After they have? Got you in there, they forget about you. They forget about you. What? Who? She's sick? Oh, too bad. Next next one. Pentecostal contribution. Beginning around 1906, the Pentecostal movement gave us a more emotional expression, more emotional expression of congregational singing. This included the lifting of one's hands, dancing in the pews, clapping, speaking in tongues, and the use of tambourines. See, everybody contributed to this... System, this foundation that was built, you see. Let's jump down. Another interesting feature of the Pentecostal worship occurs during the psalm service. Sometimes the singing will be per, um, punctuated by an occasional utterance of tongues, an inter- interpretation of tongues, or word of prophecy. That's why I was telling him, I think bah, 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 that word, bah, 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 bah. that person, bah, 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 bah. hallelujah. See? All these things. (laughs) Let's move on. But such offerings really last more than a minute or two. It's a very short prophecy. Such a pinched form of open participation cannot uh, accurately be called body ministry. The Pentecostal tradition also gives us solo or uh, choral music, often tagged as special music, that accompanies the offerings, the money. The way congregants describe these special services is um, fa- fascinating. They typically say, "Quote the Holy Spirit, let us let our meeting this week." Pastor Cheswell did not even get to preach. He was so powerful. So, boy, did you feel that message was so powerful? And they make you see the light. They make sure that it's in there, so you can feel it. Yeah. All right, sound effects. But you can see by the pictures above. All these things are based on feelings. That's why when you teach the Word, guess what happens? It distorts the feeling, it troubles the feeling. It interferes with your mood. Because the Bible is telling you, you can't do such and such. Let's move on. The Reformers accomplished a great deal in changing the theology of the Roman Catholicism. But in terms of actual practice, they made only minor adjustments that they did little to bring worship back to, to the New Testament model. The result God's people never broken free from the liturgical constraints they inherited from the Roman Catholic system, basically. So they make very small changes, but basically, you're Roman Catholic in disguise. You can see, look at all these guys together. The popes, all variations. That's why they can get together. Because nobody has the truth. They're all, you see, the the main one is always there, and everybody else is around them. And that's the main one. Let's move on. Everybody's in there. Let's move on. Next slide. The Christian sermon was borrowed from the pagan pool of Greek culture. They had sophists who were expert debaters. And these sophists uh, sophists used to travel around and. they, they learn how to be able to speak very well, see, like an orator, to deceive the people. Let's move on. You have the Greek philosopher Aristotle teaching how to set up a speech. The Greeks um, was the one who came up with rhetoric and so forth in speech. That's why some of these guys speech these wonderful messages, because they learn from the Greeks how to speak like that in the th- school of theology. All right? As this was happening, many pagan orators and philosophers were becoming what? Christians, because there was a money thing involved in that. Alright, let's move on. So note that the concept of paid teaching specialists came from Greece, not Judaism. It was the custom of Jewish rabbis to take up a trade so as to not charge a fee for their teaching. The rabbis used to go and work and then they teach the congregation. Alright? Constantine also set up a thing with tax exempt. In 8313, he exempted the Christian clergy from paying taxes. Something that pagan priests had traditionally enjoyed. Alright? So, so, it's the whole system of tax exemption. That's why, ask yourself, how come the churches are tax exempt? Okay, from the same system. Let's move on. Leviticus 21 and 5, get that for me. Let's look at the practices of ball in the head that you find these Catholic priests do. You see, you notice that head has this thing called a tonsure. It says, they even dressed and groomed differently from the common people, the priests, talking about. Bishops and priests shaved their heads. Let's see what the Torah says about that. Okay? When you get. Uh, Go ahead and read, Josh. Leviticus 21, verses 5. Uh-huh. They shall not make baldness upon their head. Who should not make baldness upon their heads? Who? Priest. Sons of Levi. Sons of Levi, the priests. So if you consider yourself a priest, even the sons of Israel, of Israel. should not be making baldness upon their heads. So the Bible tells us. Proverbs 6 and 31. Go ahead and read. And the priests sit in their temples. That's the priests of Babylon. Having their clothes ripped. They have their clothes torn. And their head and beards shaven. They didn't have any beards. And they also had their heads shaven. Nothing upon their heads. And they didn't cover their heads. Like how we have our heads covered. Because you see, they were told, if you read higher up in uh, the first three verses, uh, Jeremiah told Baruch to give Israel some instructions telling them, listen. When you go into captivity, you're going to see the way, the system, the people have worship. Don't follow that. All right? So let's move on now. Next slide. Dressing up in the churches, all of that is barred from paganism. All of these things that you see, the way the clothing were established. Perhaps I'll have some time to come back over this so we don't need to stay on here. But just to show you, the clothing system was set up from ancient uh, Roman system. All right? From the 5th century onward, bishops wore purple. Book of Revelations talk about a woman that wears what colors? Scarlet. Colors. Scarlet and purple. The Catholic Church bishops and cardinals wear two colors, scarlet and purple. Let's move on. Men in black, the original men in black, those priests. chapter 1 verses 3 to 5. Mm-hmm. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of heaven, and the fishes of the sea, Uh and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. Mm -hmm. And I will cut off from off the land saith the Lord. I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah, and upon all inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from from this place and the name of Temarins priest. Look at that word Kemerim. Uh-huh. And then that worship the host of heaven upon the house Alright, let me go back again to verses 4. God is angry and he's gonna cut off certain people. I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah, upon all inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. And we already covered Baal, the system of Baal. Right? And the name, the name of the k- k- Kemerim was the priests. Kemerim. When you look it up, it's dealing with priests who wore black. Because these are the colors that was worn by the priests of Baal. It's not actually that these guys chose black for their color, to be worn. Kemerim, priests who wear black chemarin is plural for priests who wear black. Let's go to the next slide. idolatrous priest, but the definition in Hebrew okay, gives you okay, so, it says to be, be what said, to be what? to be black. to be black. so priests who wore black, you see? in English you will never know that. But when you read that in the Hebrew you see it's priests that were black. Why do you think these guys do all the ceremonies like Baal and they wear black? Alright, so the choir also was set up by the same system. Papal choirs began in the 5th century when Gregory the Great became Pope near the end of the 6th century. He reorganized um, the Scola Cantorum, School of Singing in Rome. This school was founded by Pope Sylvester, who died in 8335. So here you got all this nonsense. Now, 1 Chronicles 6, 31-33, read that for me, please. Shows you that there was choirs, there was singing, but the singing was done the right way. Not this foolishness that we have today. So they borrow the inferences in the scriptures, the reference of the scriptures, and they do something totally different. So go ahead and read that when you get it. 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31 33. Uh-huh. And these are they whom David set over the service of Saul in the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord. After that, the ark had rest. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle that the congregation was sitting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they waited on their office according to their order. And these are they that waited with their children of the sons of the Kohathites, Kohatites, Kohatites, Iman the singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shanoel. All right. So basically, there was an order that was established, but not this stuff here. Let's go to the next slide. Learn the source of what you're drinking from. All right. You're drinking from a stream, but you don't know whence it came from. Let's go to the next slide. This guy wrote these books, Sabine Baron Gold, from 1834 to 1924. He wrote the book of ghosts, the book of werewolves. Does that sound Christian to you? Look how the guy is dressed. He looks like a he looks like a priest, right? A pastor or somebody, a clergy, right? And he wrote all these other books, curious curiosities and myths and all kinds of stuff, right? Werewolves dealing with the occult, witchcraft, and all that stuff. Let's go to the next slide. This is an illustration of one of his books. In the book of ghosts that he that we looked at before, it says Mommy Mommy, he says, Mommy Mommy, my spoiling cost three shillings and sixpence. I can't make it make it plain nowadays. Then the spirit of his mother, the dead mother, what? Passed a hand over the strings and smiled. Joe looked into her eyes and they were as stars. So this boy boys speaking to the dead. And the Bible forbids speaking to the dead demonic uh, spirits. Okay. Let's move on. And you can see it's a graveyard. Ecclesiastes 9.5 says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead knows what? Not anything. Alright? Verses 9. When you are coming to the land which the Lord your God give you, you shall not do what? Learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 11 They shall Not be found among you any one that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, observer of times, or enchanter, or a witch. The guy was writing stories about witchcraft, werewolves, or whatever it is, right? Ghosts. A charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits. The guy was talking to a familiar spirit, right? Whatever. Or a wizard, or a necromancer. And you can read 1 Samuel not now, but you can read it on your time, with King Saul. So, who wrote the song Onward Christian Soul? Is? Onward Christian Soul, the same guy that wrote books on witchcraft. So, when we get ourselves in singing these books, these song books, songs from these song books, hymnal books, we don't know the history of the people that write these songs, that now has become a heart-moving thing in a church. We don't know that these men are into witchcraft. We don't know that these men are sodomites and pedophiles, child molesters of all kinds, and involved in Satanism. But we sing the songs because we believe the words touch our hearts and bring us closer to Christ. That's what they teach us in a Christian church, we say, see right? But we can see that the most famous song around the world, sung by all denominations that we know of, was written by a man who was involved in writing books that the Lord forbid. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Let's move on. Not only the funeral procession emerged out of paganism, funeral procession, so did the funeral oration. So the whole prayer and service for the dead, funeral procession, came out from the Roman Empire. All right, This says that they would hire one of the town's eloquent professors to speak at the funeral of the loved one. The speaker followed a little handbook for such occasions. That's why they gave out the little pastor's handbook. And you read a little book like this and you... Oh, and such was a wonderful person, and you speak such words, and you say, oh, something, such, and then put them in the ground. All Roman system. We don't know that. All right. Weep for the dead, for he hath lost the life, and weep for the food, for he wants understanding. Make little weeping for the dead, for he is at rest, but the life of the food is worse, worse than death. There's two different deads as mentioned there. The dead is those that are living dead because they lack understanding. It's, con- it's a contrast. It's just saying that if you're a fool, you're dead, okay? But then it also talks about those that are physically dead too. Those that are physically dead are in the ground. And that's it, all right? You can't do nothing for them. They're cut off. So all the stuff that the guy was writing about is nothing at all. Let's move on to Baruch 2 and 17. Baruch 2 and 17. Uh-huh. Open thy eyes and behold for the dead that are in the graves whose souls are taken from their bodies will give unto the Lord neither praise nor righteousness. You'll give to the Lord you neither know what? Praise nor righteousness. Neither praise nor righteousness. So, grandma is out there looking down on the dead. Alright? Because it says, this person who used to speak these wonderful words says, he now lives among the gods. Traverses, traversing in the heavens and looking down on life below. Do you see where this comes from? This is where we get this term, Baba is up there looking down, far from Roman paganism. Read it again. He would work himself up to the passionate pitch and then say to the deceased, He now lives among the gods, traversing the heavens and looking down on life below. That was the guy who was hired to speak at the funerals by the Roman system. Now, another thing that is, needs to be mentioned, really, in the singing of songs. this is important. Remember I've said before that a lot of the way the Psalms and courses are written, God doesn't get the praise in there. I feel good, good, good. I, I, am the one feeling good. It's all about me. I, me, me. All the songs are written back and forth. It's not by accident. It even mentions that there. To the top. Let me just show you that real quick. This is important, so you'll know when you listen to songs. Typically, the focus of the songs is on the individual spiritual experience. First. The first-person singular pronouns, the words that are used in the psalms is like, I, me, my, dominate a good number of the songs. In some contemporary churches, the trend is moving more toward corporate first-person plural lines. We, us, our. So the focus is never on God. It's always about you and I. God is never really getting the praise in those churches. So you can see what the singing, now you can see what the usher Queen Elizabeth was the one who set up the Usher system. (laughs) Queen Elizabeth I, 1533-1603 re the liturgy of the Church of England. Usher's were responsible for walking people to their seats and all that stuff and and you know the rest of the story. The whole Usher system. Even the theology schools, it came from Alexandria, Egypt, because the Greeks had a school set up there for theology. So when a guy said, I'm going to go to the School of Theology, they're going back to the old Greek system. So this School was a recent invention for the poor. All right, let's move on. We're closing up. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 11, 3 to 5. But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from a simplicity that is in Christ, or Mashiach. Or Mashiach okay? For if he had cometh, like Constantine, preaching another Jesus, like this, these up here, same guy, Caesar Auger, your blue eyed Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which we have not received, or not a gospel, which he have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Let's move on. Proverbs 21 and 16. So here we have this picture of the Catholic Pope, right to the front, wearing the famous, you know, you've seen this in certain stores, <laughs> Molly World. And they lead leave into the slaughterhouse. I'll take a picture of this. Slaughterhouse over here. You got the Methodists, you got the Church of God, Seventh Day, Lutheran, the Baptist, Episcopal, all the different churches, African Methodist, Episcopal, all the churches. Following this shepherd to the slaughterhouse. All his sheep. <laughs> Proverbs 21 and 16. Read. <laughs> the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding. Next slide. Shall remain in the congregation of the dead. The man that wandereth out of the way. The way is the Torah of understanding shall remain where? In the congregation of the dead. What congregation are you in brothers and sisters? That's the question. We are in the congregation of the living. We have nothing to do with the whole church
1: system.